Hey, you're listening to the GGC Life Podcast, weekly messages from our Sunday services. We hope this message encourages you. Be blessed. I love it. God is good. And I don't know if you know this or not, but this is a great church. And I want you to know that. I just want you to have a, a Selah moment. Selah is that little word that's found in the book of Psalms. And it just means to take a moment, to have a pregnant pause, just to wait and reflect. Because when you're part of something that's good, you can take it for granted. And it can become familiar. And I just want you to know that uh, I get to travel a, a large portion of the world. I get to see a lot of churches. And I know a good church when I see a good church. And this is not only a good church, this is a great church. And so it's a real privilege, a real honour to be here on the church's 29th birthday. I don't know if you know that, but this church has been going 29 years today on this day, which is really, really significant and exciting. We as a church celebrated our 25th. We're a little bit behind you guys. We celebrated our 25th anniversary. We, we planted our church 25 years ago. It's been a year of celebration for us here uh, in, in, in uh, Victory Church and, and uh, our Rainbow family because my wife and I both turned 50 this year. Our church turned 25. My oldest daughter turned 21. My youngest daughter turned 13. And that's been the biggest party of all, let me tell you. And... Uh, I got to celebrate 25 years celebration in South Africa. A good friend of mine, their church turned 25. I'm here on the 29th celebration of your church. And in January of next year, the celebration continues because my 21-year-old daughter is getting married. So that's pretty cool. And not only is she getting married, she's getting married in Bali on the beach. So that's pretty, pretty special, I think. And so uh, I really thank God for the incredible goodness and kindness that he's shown to me as a person, as a family, as a husband, uh, as a church leader. And it's a real privilege to be able to do life with other people like Christine and Leo, who we've known since 1996. We actually met as a bunch of Aussies in South Africa. I met your pastor in South Africa, and uh, that was way back in 1996. And we've been in and out of each other's worlds ever since. And it's been an absolute privilege and pleasure. Last time I was here at this church, you were in a different building. I've got to say, I like this one better. I really do. It's got a really good feel. I really like this. And your worship team are exceptional. Come on, let's put our hands together for the band. They do a great, great job. And I, I, don't, I don't want to take too long tonight because I really want to leave God room to move. And hopefully through what I share, it will just hopefully uh, allow God to do business in each and every life that's here tonight. If you are male, female, young or old, I trust and pray that I've got something for you. We had a lot of fun this morning. If you weren't here, I'd encourage you to do what it is that you do here. Get online, get a, a podcast or a Podbean, or you can go on your Facebook or your Instagram or whatever it is. There's so many ways to get the Word of God. But I really feel that as a church, the message I shared this morning is really fitting for where you are as a church, in particular, uh, the longevity of your pastors. I think it will bring meaning and significance to where this church is at. So please, please, please uh, have a listen to that. But permit, permit me, if I may, just to go a little bit deeper uh, this evening. And I want to speak about something that uh, there's a lot of talk about of late with um, feelings and emotions and depression on the rise and suicide and anxiety. Who, who would uh, agree that those things are on the rise? And uh, we cannot be like the church of old that just pushed those things under the carpet. We have to look at and address 
those things. And so I'm not a psychologist by any stretch of the imagination, but I really trust that something uh, I share today will help us in where we're at or where we'll be at or where we've been through. Because this I know, you've either been through a tough time, you're going through a tough time, or you will go through a tough time. That, that's, that's just life, okay? And it happens to Christians and non-Christians. Christians are not exempt of problems. And if you put your hand up and gave your life to Jesus as an escape thing, uh, you were sadly mistaken. We are going to face some difficult times, some tough times, and uh, we're going to face some feelings and emotions and some thoughts that we might have thought that uh, Jesus would have taken away, but we are going to face them nonetheless. And uh, I want to look at um, Jonah and his life to help us, because I think when I finish speaking, you'll see that we're a lot more like Jonah than we've probably given ourselves credit for in the past. Jonah is an, a, uh, an Old Testament prophet. He's one of the 12 minor prophets. The reason we call them minor prophets is not because they were insignificant, but just that the books were a lot shorter than the major prophets. The major prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, those books go like for 60-odd chapters, but the minor prophets are a short books. And if you're anything like me, a short book is a good book. Are you with me? And so the book of Jonah is only four chapters long. Turn to the person next to you and say, four chapters is pretty cool. I like that. And the interesting thing about Jonah, it's unlike the other 11 minor prophets in that this is a narrative. It's a story. And although the author is unknown, most historians, theologians, and traditionalists would say that the author of the book of Jonah is Jonah. That's what we're led to believe which I think is really interesting and significant because Jonah writes about his life and it's not the most positive aspect of his life. It's not Jonah at his finest. In other words, Jonah did something that we don't do today. If you look at Instagram, you see our finest moments. You see our highlights real. You see our highlights real that have been filtered and edited to make our finest moments look even better. Would that be fair to say? But Jonah doesn't do that. He tells us about his life when he's in a low place and it's very unfiltered. I actually thought about calling this unfiltered, but anyway, we'll stick with fueled by feelings. But um, Jonah is interesting to me because of what he writes about himself and it's not the best time of his life. And I think we should thank God for Jonah. And I think we should thank Jonah for his vulnerability and his openness. I believe Jonah was a great man of God. But like all great men, he had a season in his life. And instead of hiding it away, he let us know about it. And I think that's what makes him an even greater man of God. He's using his troubles, his trials, his weaknesses to help us. And this man lived a few thousand years ago, and here it is. His life is still helping us today. And so for me, the story about Jonah really is a battle between a man who has a faith in God, but also has feelings. It's a man who's battling with his feelings and his faith. And I think I'd be talking to the right people this evening if I was to ask the question, who here has ever had a battle with their faith and their feelings? 
because I know I have. And I've been leading a church for 25 years. I've been a Christian for over 35 years. And I want to tell you, there are moments in my life, though I love God, I, I, I battle with some of the things I think, some of the thoughts that I have, and some of the things that I feel. And Jonah teaches us this. If you don't manage your feelings, your feelings will manage you. So feelings are not bad. Feelings are God-given. But they have to be indicators, not dictators of our lives. And the moment we allow the feelings to become dictators in our lives, it's the beginning of the end. If our feelings manage us, it's the beginning of the end. We need to manage our feelings. So feelings come and feelings will go. And we need to make sure that our feelings line up with the truth of God's Word, no matter what we've seen, no matter what we've experienced, and no matter what we've been through. And believe me, your pastors have been tested in this. We have been tested in this, our family, our church. In 2016, we lost our youth pastor to a lightning strike while, we were on a, uh, while he was on a youth camp. You would not think that God, in His sovereignty, would allow lightning to strike our youth pastor and he would die before the eyes of our youth people. This is not a man running away from God. This is a man serving God and he dies. And in the same year, my wife had a cancer scare. In the same year, I had to go to hospital for three weeks because I had a blood infection and I was fighting for my life. I remember one day looking at the doctor and said, I feel like my body is shutting down. He said, your body is shutting down and unless the antibiotics kick in, you will die. I said, thank you, doctor. You know, and, uh, you know, because of that blood infection, they found that my heart valve had been damaged, and so I had to have heart surgery in the September of the same year. God bless 2016, I say. <laughs> and and I, I can promise you this, I had feelings. And so I'm not here to judge Jonah today. We're here to learn from Jonah's life. And hopefully you can learn from my life as you can learn from other people's lives. And instead of just waving your fist at God for the rest of your life and saying, woe is me, why me? In actual fact, when I was near death, I was just telling uh, some of your leaders at lunchtime today, when I was in that low, low place in hospital and I felt my body was shutting down and I felt like this is it, I had this thought, what could be worse than dying right now? And as quick as I'd asked the question, I got this answer. And the answer was this, the worst thing than dying for me would be to live and lose my testimony. Imagine me living and just blaming God for the rest of my life. Imagine me living and just being miserable for the rest of my life. Imagine me living and changing my theology just to suit my sooky little self. I, just, I, just, I said, God, if, if I can't get through this, if I can't be fully alive, I don't want to be alive. And so I've gone through some things. Your pastors have gone through some things. And each and every one of you have gone through some things. And maybe some of you are going through some things right now. And so wherever you are on the journey, I, I trust and pray that you would uh, listen up and that God would speak to you. I'm not the expert, but I do believe there's some truth in God's Word that we can draw from today to help us shift and go from better and not bitter. My prayer for every one of you is that your life would get better and it would not get bitter. I know a lot of people who just get bitter as they get older when they're meant to get better. And if we're going to have a hope for the next generation, we need older people that are better, not bitter. 
We, we need to be, uh, as older people, inspiring younger people and say, man, I, I want to live a legacy. I want to be like them when I grow up. And so I trust and pray that when I finish talking today and God uses something of what I share, that it will set us on a journey as we seek to serve Him and honour Him all the days of our lives. And if you're visiting for the first time and church is a new experience for you, please don't switch off. I believe there's something for every person in this place. And so if you're a believer, welcome. If you're a non-believer, welcome. If you're something in between, welcome. You are welcome. This building was built with you in mind. These walls were painted black with you in mind. These lights were put up with you in mind. A lot of hard work, a lot of effort and energy went into this building so that uh, we could house you because we didn't know when you were coming, but we just knew you were coming. And it's a real privilege and a real honor to have you tonight. So can we just put our hands together for those that are here for the first time? And so a little bit of background to the story of Jonah. Again, I don't want to take long, so very quickly. Chapter 1, and you can read it for yourself. It's a great narrative. It's a great story. Jonah chapter 1, it's about a man who runs away from God. God says, go, and Jonah says, no. I love that. Who here has ever said no when God said go? I have. I'm like, so Jonah. Go, no, go, no. And he literally, instead of doing what God says, he looks on the map, God wants me to go there. He looks on the map and says, I'm going to go there. And he goes in the exact opposite direction to where God tells him to go. Some of you young ones, what that looks like is when mum says, clean your room, and you go and watch the television. I mean, that's, that's what's going on here. You may not ever go to Nineveh or be asked to go to Nineveh, but you've got to ask yourself, what is your Nineveh that God's asking you to do or go to, and what are you running away from? And so I tell my kids all the time, if you want to, before you conquer the world, conquer your bedroom. Just keep it clean. You know, I thought the parents might have liked that one. And so chapter one, God runs away from uh, God. Chapter two, we see Jonah running toward God. He finds himself in a situation in the belly of a huge fish. I haven't been there. You haven't been there, but it can't be great. And it's there that he finds God. It's there that his heart is awakened. It's there that he comes to his senses. And God doesn't care how uncomfortable you get as long as you get back to him. And so Jonah chapter 2 is all about this man running to God. Previously, he'd run away from God. And then in Jonah chapter 3, we see a man running with God. He's actually doing what God had called him to do. He's on mission again. And this city of Nineveh, that was full of a hundred odd thousand people, came to know this incredible God that Jonah loved and served. And you would think, wow, end of story, happy days. And in actual fact, the story of Jonah often stops there. And most people think that's where the end of the story is, chapter 3. But there is another chapter, chapter 4. And that's where we want to pick up this story today. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1 says this. Now remember all that I've said and all that's happened. He says, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. He became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish, for I knew that you are gracious and a compassionate God. I mean, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. 
Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat in the east of the city, and there he made himself a shelter. He sat in its shade, and he waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed up the plant so that it withered. And when the sun, crazy, I know. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that it grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God, he's having a bad day, I know. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. I am so angry, I wish I was dead. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it nor make it grow. It sprung up overnight and it died overnight. And I should not have concern about the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. I don't know if you know this was part of the book of Jonah, but it's significant. Because in in Jonah chapter 3, we see Jonah operating as a prophet. But in Jonah chapter 4, we see him operating as a petty man. Chapter 3, prophet. Chapter 4, petty. He's a petty prophet. You see, it's possible to be a prophet and still be petty. Which means that you can be operating in your gift while your character is still suffering. And so if you want to impress your pastor... It's going to take more than just being good on the keyboard. Because he loves you more than that. He loves you too much just to use you for your gift. In this church, your pastors actually want to grow you and develop you as a person. Yes, let's use the gift. Let's celebrate the gift. Let's build the church with the gift. But let's not neglect you in the meantime. And Jonah is operating as in his gift in chapter 3. But left to his own devices in chapter 4, it gets pretty real pretty quick. Are you with me? In other words, our gift is not a substitute for our character. You see, God had done something miraculous. He saved and revived the whole city of Nineveh. Everyone, man, woman and child, over 120,000 people. That'd be like you praying that God would bring revival to this city in Sydney. And I know you have as a church. And can you imagine if everyone in Sydney came to know God I think that you would be excited. I think that you would be happy. I think you'd be going, oh my goodness. I actually think everyone would turn out to church that next day. I I think it would actually be an exciting time to be alive. And it's it's something that I've never seen in my own time or with my own eyes. It's something you've never seen in your own time or with your own eyes. But Jonah did. Before his very eyes, he saw a whole city turn to God. I mean, this is mind-blowing. This is mind-blowing. And you would think that this prophet would be excited. I'm being used by God to see people come to him, being saved. Salvation coming to a whole city. You'd think he'd be happy. And yet we read in Jonah chapter 4, verse 1, that it seemed wrong to him. It seemed wrong to him. And it gets worse than that. Not only did it seem wrong to Jonah, but he actually got angry. Can you imagine? Sunday morning after the whole of Sydney has been saved, 
Your pastor stands up here and says, church, I, I just want to tell you, I've got to be honest, I've got a problem with this. <laughs> In actual fact, I'm really ticked off that the city of Sydney have been saying, I mean, you would say, what? And yet that's what we're reading here. And so if something on the surface doesn't make sense initially, that's why we've got to sit in the Word of God and actually delve a little deeper and see what we can learn from because every word in the Scriptures is there for a purpose and it's on purpose for a purpose. And so here's this uh, mighty man of God who's just been used by God and yet he's acting pretty petty and he's become so angry, so angry he says these words, I wish I was dead. See, when you're fueled by your feelings, you always exaggerate and overstate how you feel. You may not have ever said, I wish I was dead, but maybe you've been so hungry, you found yourself saying this, I'm so hungry, I'm starving to death. Now, the truth is, you're not starving to death. Doctors tell you you can actually go quite a number of days without food. So just because you can't get a donut at three o'clock, doesn't mean you're going to die. But we say some crazy things. I'm just trying to bring you on the journey because it's so easy just to leave the Bible in the past and say, shame on Jonah. He was obviously having a better. No, no, we, we are not too different than this man. I found myself saying, I'm starving to death. And Jonah's saying, I wish I was dead. There's no point living anymore. And what I love about God is what he does next. God, in his gracious ways, instead of judging and condemning Jonah, he asks him a question. And this is Parenting 101, when you're trying to get something out of your kids. It's Discipleship 101. Instead of telling, let's start asking. Just write that down. Instead of telling, let's start asking. Because what God asks Jonah, he knew the answer to. God is sovereign, and yet he asks a question. See, I think one of the reasons we don't see true discipleship take place is because we're not patient enough. God patiently sits Jonah down and asks him a question. And he says this, he says, why are you angry? In other words, God was trying to bring Jonah into an awareness. Jonah knew he was angry and God was trying to say to him, I, I know you know that you're angry. I know you're angry. In actual fact, everyone around you knows you're angry. But do you know why you are angry. In other words, if you think anger is your only problem, then you're going to end up fighting the wrong battle. If we don't right fight the root issue in our lives, we'll end up fighting the wrong battle. So God graciously spends time with Jonah and asks him a question of which he already knows the answer to, but he's trying to bring Jonah on a journey. You see, Jonah was aware that he was angry. And uh, I, I don't know if you know this, but when someone's angry, it's pretty obvious. Uh, when you're angry, everyone around you knows you're angry. And, and for the most part, you know you're angry. Because when you're angry, you just act different and you get all kind of crazy. And Jonah was getting all kinds of crazy. And he says, I know I'm angry. I'm so angry. I wish I was dead. So ang uh, Jonah knew that he was angry. But there are some things in his life that he couldn't see because of his anger. In actual fact, the anger that he was feeling was blinding him from other things that are going on in his world. You see, you and I, we are quite complex beings. And we're kind of like, you know, boxes within boxes. And, and sometimes the obvious things about ourselves 
blind us to the things that are really going on. In other words, God wants to do to Jonah what he wants to do to me, what he wants to do with you, and that's take you aside, sit us down, and let us know some things about us. And let us know some things that are going on on the inside. Because Christianity, true New Testament Christianity, is an, outside, an inside out job. He wants to get to the inside issues. And you're not always going to deal with the inside issues when you're busy here, busy there, busy doing this and busy doing that. You see, Jonah knew that he was angry. But there's a few things about himself that he couldn't see that God wanted to highlight that day. And as God kind of digs into the heart and the inner recesses of our lives, he brings some things up. And what I want you to know is the things that he brings up, he wants to help us with. He's not here to rub our noses in it. He's here to help us. And it's not until we know the problems that we can deal with issues. I mentioned that I was in hospital in 2016 for three weeks with a blood infection, but what I didn't tell you is the first three days I was in hospital, they didn't know what was wrong with me. And that was horrible. And they were just doing test after test after test after test after test. And I've got to be honest with you, three days into the journey, the day they told me, you've got a blood infection, this is going to sound weird, but I was relieved. Because the moment they diagnosed what it was, they could deal with the issue. Up until then, they were just guessing. But they said, this is not good news, but it is good news because we know what the problem is. And now that we know what the problem is, we can deal with it. And so as God reveals things in our lives, it's not to cause more pain, it's actually to help us. And so he'll dig into the recess of our lives. And what Jonah found out that day, and what he learned about himself, as I've learned about myself over the years, is that he could see his anger, but he couldn't see his arrogance. He couldn't see his arrogance. Where's arrogance in the narrative? Well, when Jonah says it seemed wrong to him, in other words, that's when he took the place of God. This is not right. I know better. I know better than you, God. That's pretty arrogant when we tell God that we know better. He couldn't see his arrogance because this whole situation to him seemed wrong. He knew he was angry, but he couldn't see his arrogance. His anger was blinding his arrogance. And this is where Jonah is no longer running with God, but he's running ahead of God. Jonah chapter 1, he runs away from God. Jonah chapter 2, he runs to God. Jonah chapter 3, he runs with God. Jonah chapter 4, he runs ahead of God. And you have run ahead of God, and I've run ahead of God. Whenever we run ahead of God, it's when we think we know better. This shouldn't have happened. It shouldn't have happened in that time. It should have happened sooner. Why aren't I married now? I know better. You know, like, maybe we're not married. Maybe not being married for some of you is the best thing for you. Because let's be honest, some of you, if you got married, you'd be, pretty, you'd be divorced pretty soon. Let's just be honest. Because you're just not ready. You can't even look after your own life, let alone look after someone else's life. I'm just, just a thought. I'm not, I'm not saying it's a word from the Lord. I'm just, just a thought. And so he couldn't see his arrogance. Jonah knew he was angry. But as God gets into the recesses of our lives and starts digging in, what else is he going to find? What he couldn't see was his entitlement. 
His entitlement. Where's entitlement in the narrative? Well, it's where we see Jonah upset that God poured out grace on others and yet expected God to pour out grace on him. Entitlement is when you forget your chapters 1 and 2 and only remember chapter 3. Entitlement is when you expect God to bless you, forgive you, heal you, love you, prosper you, but not that person. Jonah thought he was more entitled to the grace of God than those Ninevites. And let's be honest, I think one of the things that particularly our younger generation have to watch today is entitlement. You live in a blessing of a previous generation and it's a, it's a great time to be alive. And I'm not here to be that old guy that wants to bag on young people, but, but I do think that we've got to be careful that we don't get entitled and start thinking that we deserve things that other people don't deserve. And so as God starts digging in the recesses of our heart, we see that Jonah could see his anger, but he couldn't see his arrogance. He couldn't see his entitlement. And he couldn't see his hurt. Do you know at the most of our issues, there's hurt. See, I don't know if you know this or not, but Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. And Assyria were the arch enemy of the Israelites. And the Israelites were the people in whom Jonah belonged. And why Jonah was so upset is because he'd been asked to help a people who hurt his people. And if we look at life in general, we will often see that the root issue of our lives and the root issue of the words that we say and the theologies that we create, it's usually to protect us because of some hurt that happened to us. A few years ago when we was in America, my wife and I went to on a family trip, five weeks, it was amazing, whole family were with us, and the trip was made more um, uh, affordable because of the friendships that we have and homes we were able to stay in. And we had some great friends in LA who gave us a home, and uh, a, a particular family in the church were out of town, and so we had their home, they had a dog, and they said, look, we don't want to bother you with our dog, and so just leave him in the back. Don't bring him in the home. Uh, he'll be fed by the neighbours. Uh, you just enjoy yourselves. He's a big old husky thing, and so they said, just, just leave him. And so we did. We ignored him for the week that we were there, and um, one thing and another. But as we were packing to go, I put my bags in the car, and uh, the neighbour on the other side, who wasn't looking after the dog, um, said to me, oh, your, your, your dog is all chained up, and, and, it, and it's kind of tied itself up around this stake, and it's kind of whimpering. I said, thank you. And so the first thing I did, I went into the house. I said, guys, uh, if you hear the dog whimpering, don't do anything. Leave the dog alone. Because I know that the dog had not seen us or had any interaction with us. 
And a dog that's in trouble often lashes out. That's what I was thinking. So I grab the bags and I go into the car for another trip. And as I come in, there's tears, there's shouting, something's gone on. You see, my wife, being the lover of people and pastoral, and she loves dogs. We have a little dog, but it's not a husky. It's just a little white fluffy Maltese Shih Tzu which is the most humiliating thing I have to do every morning as I walk this dog. I just, it's kind of, it's how God keeps me humble. I just walk this little dog. And long story short, Kath's been bitten on the backside, bitten on the neck. We have to rush her to the, uh, uh, the local hospital. We get some injections. And she was fine, but she was traumatized. She was traumatized. And here's the thing. She only went to help the dog. And I think there's a lot of people in church life who start out wanting to help people. We, we get saved. Jesus helped us. I want to help people. And the very people who want to help bite us. And we say, forget that. And then we change our theology instead of get healed. And we have issues about big churches, large churches, modern churches, contemporary. No, that's not the issue. Let's get healed. Interestingly enough, literally a week after I come out of heart surgery, so this is now 2016, that was 2014, two years later, I'm walking our dog with my wife, just come out of hospital, just going slow pace, and out of nowhere, out of nowhere, I mean, it's almost like a demonic thing, like stealth, this husky, and I don't see too many huskies where I live, husky of all dogs came out of nowhere and picked up our dog in its mouth. That's what I did. <gasps> But I had to rescue the dog, and I've just had heart surgery. So I grab our dog out of the husky's mouth. Now, don't judge me, but I grabbed our dog, and I'm, and I'm just trying to kick the other one. I'm just animal cruelty, I don't know. I'm just, ah! and, and it's funny. You don't know what you're going to do when you haven't been in a situation before. But if you'd ask me, what would I do if I had to rescue a dog out of another dog's mouth? I probably wouldn't have said, well, I would go, but that's what I did. I was just trying to make lots of noise just to try and scare this dog. And I ran in front of the road. I stopped the car with my foot. I was like, stop. And I was just trying to throw my, I said, open the door. <laughs> They're thinking I'm a crazy guy. And so I'm trying to save our dog, getting him into the car. And as I, they open the door, I throw our dog into the car, shut the door, and I look around, and the dog's running off. He's like, he came, and then he went. And I'm just kind of, my heart's slowing down. Thank you to the car. I get the dog out of the car. And then I look over to my wife, and you know what? She has not moved. She did not move. What happened to her two years early, earlier, when she was willing to go and help this dog she didn't know, right now she's not ever going to talk to another husky, let alone. She didn't even help me. And I just had heart surgery. And I think it's a great picture, and she's allowed me to tell that. I've told that story a few times, and... And if she was here, she'd be saying, go for it, because it's an incredible picture of how we respond when we allow the past to dictate and determine our future. And so when God reveals something, it's not because he wants to hurt you. God reveals because he wants to heal. What he reveals, he heals. But we've got to be willing, and we've got to be open and we've got to be wanting to hear what it is that he has to say. Because if we're going to get healed, 
we've got to learn to deal with our hurts. Because when we don't deal with our hurt, it manifests in bitterness. In Jonah chapter eight, uh, chapter two, verse eight, it says, those that cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace of God that could be theirs. In other words, the grace of God is available to you on every circumstance and every situation. The reason we don't receive it is because we are holding on to worthless idols. Now, I doubt any of you have a golden calf. I doubt any of you has a big statue that you worship, but we hold on to other things. And one of the biggest idols that is worthless in our lives is the pain of the past. It's the hurt. And while we hold on to that thing, we can't receive the grace that God has for us. You know, when uh, it comes to getting healed, we need to learn to let God do his work. You see, when I had my heart surgery, the doctor said to me on release of hospital after being in hospital for another week that year, he said to me this, he said, uh, please, Mr. Rainbow, three things. Number one, do not touch your scar. Uh, do not touch your wound. I said, okay, cool. Wrote that down. Second thing, do not touch your wound. Third thing, do not touch your wound. He said, in order for your wound to heal, you've got to leave it alone. And now I have a little scar that's a reminder of a life-giving surgery which I wear as a badge of honour to the goodness of God and the goodness of surgeons. Adelaide has some incredible surgeons and I'm so grateful to God for his grace and his surgeons. And uh, I have a scar because I didn't pick it. And when you don't pick a wound, it becomes a scar. A scar is a healed wound. And when you allow a wound to heal, we wear our scars as badges of honour as to what God has brought us through. But if we keep picking at it, it'll never heal. It'll never become a scar and it will always remain a wound. And so we've got to learn to leave things alone and give it to God. And in order for us to discover what's going on on the inside, there's just three things. And I want the band to come up because I'm not going to take very long to say these things. And I just want to give an opportunity just to maybe worship for just a little bit longer. I don't want to draw this out. It doesn't have to be an all-night thing. But it could just start something. And three things that have helped me in this area. These are the three go-tos for me every time I'm working through an issue. You want to know what they are? The first thing we need to know in discovering what's on the inside of us, we need godly revelation. First thing is godly revelation. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked the question, who do you say that I am? And all the disciples were quiet with the exception of one person, and that was Peter. And he said, you're the Christ, you're the Son of the living God, you're the Messiah, you're the one that was prophesied about. And Jesus said, this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And then Jesus says to Peter, you are known as Simon, but I give you a new name, Peter, and on you I'll build my church. In other words, the church is built, and a life is built, and a healthy marriage is built, and a healthy family built, uh, is built on a revelation of who He is. And when you have a revelation of who Jesus is, He'll give you a revelation of who you are. Simon received a name change. And when you get a name change and you understand who you are, you'll understand what it is that you've been called to do. There are many people who are my age, in their 50s, and still don't know why they've been put here on planet Earth. And that has to change.
And I believe the way it changes is when we have godly revelation. When we have a revelation of who Jesus is, He gives us a revelation of who we are. He gives you a new name. And it's good to know who you are because there's a lot of people who tell you a lot of things about you. And they'll say a lot of things about you and they'll give you a lot of names. You've probably been called a lot of names at school, university, in the workplace. You get called a lot of names. And when all those names are being sprouted around, you need to know who you are. Because it's only then that you'll know what it is you've been called to do. Every one of you in this room has been called on purpose, for a purpose. Isn't that awesome? Our 13-year-old daughter, she's incredibly discerning. She thinks deeper than most adults I know, let alone kids. And it's a beautiful gift. But the other day we were in the plaza and she starts crying. I said, what's up, sweetie? She goes, I can't help but feel for my friend whose mum and dad have just divorced. I'm like, wow. Now you tell me, is that not a beautiful thing? But you know what? As a dad watching her, this beautiful thing, this gift is going to kill her. And I said to her, I said, sweetie, and we sat down and said, let's get a donut. I sat down and said, hey, sweetie, imagine if when you're 16, I bought you a brand new car. We talked about what the car would look like, and what kind of car it would be, and what color it would be, and what the wheels would look like. And, and I said, imagine if I bought you a brand new car. That'd be a great gift, wouldn't it? She said, absolutely. I said, but you realize that great gift can also kill you. As a dad who buys you that gift, I'd need to then teach you how to drive that gift. And God has given us gifts. And those gifts, if you don't learn how to manage your gift, it will kill you. That care for people, my daughter, she's so caring, she's so kind, she's so thoughtful. It's a beautiful thing, but it will kill her. And she'll end up running away from God and the church unless I don't do some godly parenting. This is my greatest privilege. I think there's other jobs I could earn more money, but I love doing this. I love people. I love helping people find their gift, discover their gift, but also manage their gift. Because if we don't manage our gift, it will kill us. And we see Jonah, a man, struggling with his gift. He's not a bad person. He's no worse than you or me. He's just struggling with his gift. And I think we all get to that place from time to time. So we need godly revelation. Secondly, we need external evaluation. In other words, we all have blind spots. And this is what I love about the church because God places the lonely in families. This notion that you can serve Jesus and just get on with your own life and not do the church. No, no. It's God's wisdom to plant you in a church. And not just the universal church that includes every church in the world, but a local church where people know you. Not just conference speakers. Thank God for the John Pipers and the Stephen Furtick's and the Joyce Myers and everyone in between. Thank God for all those, but they don't know you. You need people who know you. Because we have blind spots. Right now I can see you, but I can't see behind me. But you can see behind me. You could actually help me to see what I can't see. We need external evaluation. And I thank God that there are people in my world that can help me with my blind spots. I have spiritual voices. I thank God for those men and those women in my life. But whatever area of my life needs to be managed well, I need people speaking into it. Not controlling, not manipulating. And I think that's the shift. People feel controlled and manipulated. Now they just do their own thing. That is not the answer. The answer is to find people who love you, love you enough to say what you don't want to hear in order to keep you in a safe place. And the last one is simply this self-investigation. 
In Proverbs 25 verse 2 it says this, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, to search out a matter is the glory of kings. This may sound weird, but God likes to hide things from us in order for us to search because He loves revealing things to us when there's a hunger for more of Him. You say, well, well, that's a bit cruel. Now just think about it for a moment, parents. Or maybe think back to your childhood when you'd play hide and seek. You know, I would play hide and seek with my kids, but it wasn't about the hiding, it was about being found. And as my kids, when my kids were very young, I would hide in the, in the easiest place to be found. And I might hide here. And they count to three, they say, come on, Dad. And I'll be like, hiding. I'm hiding, but it's pretty obvious where I am. Why? Because I want to be found. But as they got older, I'd make it a little bit harder because I wanted to know how much did they want to see Dad. I don't want to make it too easy. Oh, Dad, stupid game. He's just right there. And I think God's a bit like that. He loves revealing Himself. He loves being found. And it's great when we take opportunities like this just to spend a little bit of time just to seek His face. Would you stand with me this evening? I'm going to hand back to your pastor in just a moment. But I realize what I've shared today will bless some of you. Some of you, it's going to open up some wounds. For others, other things. But this I know, you're in a safe place. You're in a good place. And in order for us to find out what's on the inside so that we make good godly decisions into the future, we need to have godly revelation. We need external evaluation. But we need to do some self-investigation. Because that's how you grow. So I'm going to ask the band just to lead us in song as we just spend some time just focusing in on Him right now. Can I get you to do something? Can we just raise our hands to heaven? You know, the Bible talks about it. It doesn't make us a cult because we raise hands. The Bible talks about it. But to me, it's a sign of surrender. When you do this, you're unprotected. It's a vulnerable stance to say, God, won't you come and speak? And so, Father, I just thank you that you're here. In the midst of all that's going on in the world today, that you would present yourself in this place and be here with us. It's a beautiful thing. And I just pray that as we just spend a moment just worshipping you, focusing on you, you would come and have your way and you'd minister to young, old, male, female, whatever the circumstance, whatever the situation, that we would be a group of people that find you that you'd reveal yourself to us more and more and more. Come, Holy Spirit, touch your precious people, saturate this place and reveal yourself more to us. And I ask that in Jesus' mighty name. Thanks, team. You've been listening to the GGC Life Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. For more, please visit our website, ggclife.com or email us, ggclife at ggclife.com. From our house to yours, be blessed.